This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Two Nowadays podcast. I'm your host, James, and I'm joined as always by my good friend, Timmy Lang. Hi, everyone. Happy New Year to everybody. And this is the final Two Nowadays podcast, mm-hmm. and the time is right for two of us, I think, to move on. And um, yeah, I suppose we'll go over why we want to move on and uh, maybe some of the highlights over the last three and a half years, and then we'll thank a few people and organizations that supported us. But, um, Larry, Tim? Mm, yeah, it's a fucking emotional day, really, you know, but I suppose myself and James have to really look at our lives and um, look at what was important and, you know, I suppose things like this, everything has to come to an end in some way and I suppose now is probably the best time as ever kind of to move on. We both looked at what we've done in the last few years and and um, I don't think there's anything that we could have really changed to make anything better. But I suppose I'm I'm actually happy t- to know that yeah. the amount of work and, and the amount that we've gave back to our communities and and to people that we know over the last few years has has really helped us to kind of yeah. help us on our own paths, knowing that we're actually after doing some good within our communities. Yeah. Whereas 10, 12 years ago, we were an absolute fucking nuisance. Yeah. Well, I you think if, if you Google <laughs> Timmy Long or James Leonard, no while you'll get his positive stuff. Yeah. Whereas a few years ago, I wasn't like that. Yeah. So that's probably a, a good legacy to have. The videos will always be on YouTube. The podcast will always be available on Spotify and Apple and all the others. So uh, I know it'll help people for a long time um, after we finished. And um, you never know what will happen in the future. But for now, anyway, it's... The time is right, and there's always a good sign in business or in life. No one went to get out. Yeah, and I think um, for myself, I, uh, last year I went to Timmy and the management agency we were at the time, and I was burnt out even at that stage. I wanted to to leave, and I ended up after a few days. I came back. I said, "Look, I'll I'll stay." I said, "I give it a year," but um, we did a podcast there a few months ago with an Australian lady psychologist, Hannah Cooltown. She came off to me afterwards. She says, "James." They're showing a lot of signs of burnout. And I was like, fucking, no shit, Sherlock, you know. But um, I've just, it's just become unmanageable. I suppose you can be a victim of your own success. You know, the, the more popular we got, the bigger we got, it just became harder to do. 
And if you look at the podcast and you see me, Timmy talking to guests and having a laugh and getting awards here and there and having brilliant experiences, which we did, but what you don't see is the hours of work that goes in the background. And um, there was a significant change in my personal circumstances as well, which means I can't give the podcast the time that I used to be able to give it. And as well, I suppose you have to look at your long-term future. Like we're doing this three and a half years and you know, I have a mortgage and I'm looking at my long-term career. I want to go back to work, back to a bit of stable employment, like be, being a self-employed creator. Anyone will tell you whether you're a comedian or um, a YouTuber or anything like that. Uh, like it's precarious employment, you know. It's up to you to bring in the grants and, uh, and the funding and stuff like that. So um, it's just a lot of pressure on top of everything else. So, um, yeah, looking forward now, 2024, get back into into work, uh, back around my family, in a better headspace, back around my friends, back doing things I used to enjoy that I wasn't able to do for the last while. And, yeah, just really focusing on what's what I want to do in life and what interests me in fun. I remember, like, back in the day, fun was easy. I'd always have fun. But I think when you when you become an adult and you have families and you have bills and jobs and stuff like that, you have to actually plan fun. You have to go out of your way to make it happen. So, like, over the Christmas, you know, I was at the pantomime. I was at a comedy club gig last night. I was at the kneecap gig in the city hall, and I don't know, I was just having a good, good fun stuff that I haven't been doing for the last while. But that's all very important, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I suppose one of the big things for me was was just missing, you know, going home after your nine to five job, and just having nothing to do. You know, maybe take the kids training or go training myself in the gym instead of having to squeeze training in throughout my day and not knowing when I'd actually even get a chance to go to the gym and just squeeze it in at, at a timeline that is just available out of the blue. And it'd be nice just to be able to have some structure to my life a little bit. You know, and just... I, I I always in the last year or so I, I longed for that back, <laughs> just just to be able to go home and have nothing to do, you know. Um, and things and like relate to James with the the burnout because for a while it just felt like it just doing things just felt like stress and anxiety and I didn't I wasn't enjoying it, you know. Don't get me wrong. <clears throat> I love the podcast, you know. I love, absolutely love the podcast, and I will continue doing a podcast um, myself. You know, I I will continue doing my own thing around maybe neurodiversity, around uh, learning differences and stuff, and and some of the mental health stuff and and addiction as well. And uh, because I enjoy talking, like, about this kind of stuff and, and I enjoy people I enjoy sitting across this table or any table and just being able to relate the people and just to be able to join them on their journey because when somebody's sitting across that table from you they're reliving their journey you know and just to be there for them at that moment in time so they can express themselves and and know that there's somebody sitting across the table from them or somebody's and they're completely non-judgmental 
and able to relate. It's a powerful thing for somebody to give you that trust. And I can honestly say, and I mean this truthfully, we've had over 180 guests, I think, between the prisons and this studio here. And there's probably one or two just come to mind that maybe were difficult for me to sit through. But the other ones, like, I genuinely felt every single moment of those podcasts, you know, and the people that were there, you know, and, like, the few that I didn't enjoy really sitting there with, they were just probably different. They weren't my thing, mm. you know what I mean? They different interests, yeah, like, so... They just weren't my thing. Some of the guests be up your street and some of the guests be up my street. Yeah. But what we, what we tried to do was try to get a good mix of people that would appeal to everybody. And we touched on some obscure topics like stammers and we had somebody on that was deaf. That and was like, like we did things that you wouldn't, there that was, was no other podcast that doing that. That was powerful, powerful Trying to be as inclusive as possible. Yeah, because like we were sitting at a table here. <laughs> I just remember. We were sitting at the table. You had uh, John, who's deaf, a deaf person, across from us, three of us at the table. Then you had another lady to James's left. She was doing the sign for John. And John then was um, signing back to us. And there was another lady vocalizing the sign language from him back to us. And like we all had to be very um, tuned into just listening and knowing when our time, our opportunity was to have have a question for John or say something. And it was like patience. And when you're doing that, like we wouldn't have been used to it because our questions would have been just in normally we would have just had our questions over here. Hey, I am this and you'd carry on. But like, it was a great opportunity for, for me anyway, to be able to sit there and just watch myself and watch the urge to say something and, ha and having that awareness to just pull myself back and just leave everybody do their role. And when the time came then, either for me or James to ask another question, you know, that that kind of stuff is powerful. Like, and I'd never thought I'd ever experience something like that. Yeah, no, the best the best thing about it is sitting across the table and talking to interesting people. Mm. You know what I mean? That's like, if, if that's all it took, it would it would never stop, you know? But it's just, it's way more than that. And you know, for anybody that wants to start out a podcast, I'd encourage you to go and do it because you'll have brilliant experiences. And, uh, but you know, there is more to it than what you might see or hear. That's all I'd say. And if if anybody ever wanted tips on how to start the podcast or where to start, you know, I'm very open to taking an email off somebody and giving them some guidelines. But as, you, as Timmy said, it's not the last you're going to see of Timmy. And I'd probably do something at home myself down the line, uh, some smaller scale that'd be up in your attic, you know, uh, it won't be half as big. But it'd be more manageable, you know, something that as a hobby. Because when it was a hobby, it was it was grand. But when it becomes a job, it's it's a different dynamic, and it takes the kind of enjoyment out of it for me. But um, yeah, it's and the funny thing is, you know, we were looking at the statistics yesterday for our 2023 statistics, and we had 1.2 million downloads in 2023. That's a hundred thousand a month. We did a podcast a week. There's 25,000 downloads per podcast, which is you know the podcast is is um there's a lot there's thousands of people accessing it on a weekly basis so it's not that the podcast is dying to death that's not the reason um so um i just want to say to all those listeners thanks for supporting us 
And I suppose we'll go through some of the highlights and then we'll go around and we'll thank people towards the end to me. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. So what were some of your highlights then? Um, from the beginning, I suppose, just on a personal level, my growth, you know, I, just highlighting that and how I felt from from the first podcast to even sitting there now and, and not feeling the same anxiety and fear, mm. you know, and I suppose anybody that listened to the first one and is listening to this now, you can't really hear that fear in my voice, you know, and, and that's a, a big step for me. It's it's really helped me to grow. And it's also helped me to grow as a human being, you know. Um, from the last three and a half years, I've I've got thicker skin. And um, when I say thicker skin, I mean just from some of the times that we would have got some negative feedback because of our past, because of the things that we would have done in our past. Um, at the start, I would have, I would have took it on board and internalized some of the, the comments from people, you know, and um, would have went into my shell a little bit. And I, I would have felt a little bit overwhelmed with it and, maybe a little bit insecure about what I was doing, but I still knew from day one what I was doing was something that I was supposed to do. And just from where I have came from there at those moments to where I am now, my skin has, my skin has thickened, you know. Um, if somebody has something to say, now they're very entitled to say whatever they have to say. And I have absolutely no issue with it because everybody's entitled to their own opinion, whether it's right or wrong. You know, whether I agree with them or don't agree with them, you know, um, and that's absolutely fine. You know, it's absolutely none of my business what anybody else thinks of me or thinks of James or thinks of anybody sitting in this room here today, you know, and I, and it's just about moving on. But you have to be in a certain place in your life for that. You know, if you're somebody that's really caught up in themselves and living in a low mood state of being, you know, negatively always in your head, always kind of caught up in the, the self-chatter in the head or the self-chatter in the room with others who are kind of caught up in the gossip and shit like that. Um, it can be a difficult place to be in. But if you can just sit with the way you're feeling and just allow people to do and say whatever they need to say, it just changes. And that's what happened for me. It changed over time. It didn't happen initially. It gradually changed after the second time and the third and the fourth and the fifth. And then it just came to say, sure, how bad? So what? Like, everybody's entitled to what they want to say. Mm. You know, and um, that was a highlight for me on a personal level, just from getting from one state of being back to the first two podcasts I've done, part one and two, to where I am today, you know, and um, and I also, also, also we have to understand as well, maybe some of the people that had negative things to say about me or James, maybe they've had something really bad happen to them in their lives and they're caught up in the pain of that. And that's fair enough to them, we have to understand that as well. You know, they're caught up in the in that pain and um, and that's okay. You know, and that's okay. And uh, what about you, James? Yeah, I think um, I suppose from from day one, I really threw myself into the podcast in terms of like what what does it take to be a podcaster? 
um the technical side of it the editing and um social media uh, sourcing guests and researching you know i learned a lot like if you have gabber matt there bessel van der kork on the podcast you make sure you're reading their books beforehand so i learned a lot even like you have a palestinian lady and you have to make sure that you know your shit before because you you know you'll get you get found out so that pressure of having to be on top of things um i enjoy that because i learned a lot of forces you have to do research force you to learn i suppose the highlight for me definitely was having christy moore here on the studio next to us singing i don't think of gurt togurt i think of my own father's home place lovely all the fields and the haggard and the hay shed and the bog and you know so john is beautiful he is uh, yeah. yeah um when did you get the idea to so you you, you wrote a, a song about your connection to cork and why why you like cork or when did the idea for that song come uh, myself and mick were driving down like, like i've played the marquee every year since it started hmm. i think 17 years and we're driving down this year i said jesus mick it'd be great to write an old song about the marquee and i started writing it on the way down and i thought i'd do it that night but I did it at the sound check and it was terrible. <laughs> so you wrote it within the car drive in the I way started, I started it. Oh, yeah. And then when I was doing the, the gig in the Opera House for Don and the Cork Life Centre, yeah. I said, Jesus, I'll have to have a go at this song. Yeah. So I, I spent a few weeks at it and I did it that night. And I haven't done it since, but I've been working on it. Yeah. That, was, that night was great. Yeah, want to give it? Want to give it a blast? No. Yeah, I, look, I, 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 it was through your yeah. podcast that yeah. I, I met on. You know? Yeah. Actually, yeah. do you want to tell us the story? Sing the song first, yeah. and we we'll tell the, the dance story afterwards. The Port Leash yeah. connection. Saturday night, packed and ties all together in the big marquee. The Cork Examiner says to me, "Why do you keep coming back?" Year after year, the answer's plain and simple, Mick. The reason's very clear. It's the reels and ring a skiddy, and the jigs and hobble line. Ricky Lynch in the corner house, he's like a vintage wine. <laughs> oh, come on, Christy. Smarten up there. He's like a vintage wine. It's the crack and shark in Ireland and the hake in Union Hall and the turbot cocked upon Cape Clear. You can eat the bones and all on the banks, the banks, the beautiful banks on the banks of the River Lee. Saturday night we're packed and tied all together in the big marquee. Puccini's in the Opera House, Karl Marx in the Conley Hall, Joe Max in the Arcadia, the two Norries are on the ball. You! <laughs> Maggie Barry's on the call, kid Jimmy Crowley's on the Rantantan, Sound Isabel, Hank Waddell and the maestro John Spillane. Here's Katrina Toomey, she's coming up the mall to cook the penny dinner, to feed the great and small and there goes Don O'Leary on the road to Sunday's well up to the Cork Life Centre for to ring the morning bell on the banks, the banks, the beautiful banks on the banks of the River Lee Saturday night we're packed and tied all together on the big marquee I took a wrong turn at Duncattle upon my soul 
down the Jack Lynch Tunnel, woke up in the Metropole, and all along McCurtain Street till I came to Patrick's Hill. Big Knowles said, keep coming back, and by God, I surely will. Back to the English market, back to that scene, where a well-known corkfish monger met Her Majesty the Queen. He brought the cockles and the mussels, caviar and lobster tail. The periwinkle drove the poor old queen completely off the rails. On the banks, the banks, the beautiful banks, and the banks of the river Lee. Saturday night were packed and tight all together in the big marquee. Oh, oh, the, the lonely woods of Upton, the boys of Fair Hill. The piper of Crossbury, I hear him still. I see the blood and bandage when I hear the rebels sing. I'm going to kiss that Blarney stone when the bells of Shandon ring. On the banks, the banks, the beautiful banks, on the banks of the river Lee. Saturday night, we're packed in times all together on the big market. <laughs> That was like a surreal moment, you know, somebody that you've um, grown up listening to that's a huge part of Irish culture and to have him here singing was brilliant. Um, the opera houses were amazing as well, especially the first one. Um, what else was there? Um, the Late Lay Show was pretty cool as well. Ryan Tuberty, I know he gets a lot of shit, like, but he was very nice to us. Yeah. And um, he was. Uh, the nationwide documentary was very good, wasn't it? Yeah, that was powerful as well. That came across really well, and just to have our families as well. And that and they give on our area. Yeah, Arcullen and Nakinin yeah. Holly Hill was, <laughs> yeah. no, it was lovely. And to be a and to be the area for the area to be seen in a, in in a nice way was powerful as well because from from the moment I can remember back in the day, like Nakinin. Holly Hill, Grand Brother areas and Churchfields, they would have they would have been known as areas of, of um criminality and violence and drugs and stuff like that. But just to see the good, genuine people that do live in the areas like ninety when when I say this now it's just not it's it's not me just saying it, but ninety nine point nine percent of fucking people up there are just getting on with their lives. And the odd old few people that are just up there messing about and doing their thing. They're doing that because they actually don't know any better, you know? And that's probably just all they've ever seen in their lives, you know? And But as a society, you know, who who who, who actually don't understand uh, the people and where they're coming from, um, we can be a small bit, maybe, what's the right word? Uh, judgmental, judgmental, yeah, uh, a little bit judgmental, and people were understanding the context of of how they grew up and and the nature of of the environment that they they were brought up in and the people that influenced them. You know, we really genuinely don't understand that side of us. We're very quick to judge people in relation to the things that they do, and I'm not. And I've always said this before, being. Um, I'm not justifying anybody's actions, you know, it, it's not about that, but it's, all I'm trying to say is sometimes we just have to be a little bit more considerate in relation to just understanding where people are coming from and um, 
what they've actually experienced in their lives for them to actually turn out the way they did. That's very important. It is, and there was, it's a big reason why we wanted to have politicians on the podcast, because we're not political people. We're not, we're not a political podcast. We've had representation from Sinn Féin, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil on the podcast. And, uh, but the reason we had the Taoiseach Michal Martin on, um, Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, and Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, is because you, like, when you want to advocate for something, or you want to bring around change, you can either choose to go on Twitter and complain about it, or you can choose to have a seat at the table with the people that can actually make the changes. And we chose to see, sit at the table with sitting ministers and Taoiseachs that can actually make change. And we took a lot of flack for that, for uh, people don't like politicians, and I, I understand a lot of the reasons why not. But for me and Timmy, it was a brilliant opportunity for us to show the ministers and the Taoiseachs that people like me and Timmy aren't a write-off and there's a lot of hope, uh, there's a lot of value in allowing people to turn their lives around and support people that want a better life. And um, just to show them that it's not black and white that people are in prison are all bad and the people outside of prison are all good. So we might never see the fruits of that advocacy work, but um, I'm sure Helen McEntee, Michael McGrand, Michal Martin left the studio with a different view and people like me and to me. Mm. And that was all we wanted. And we were prepared to take the flak that came with that to get our goal. You know, so yeah. that was the reason, wasn't it? Yeah, and not just that really. There was a lot of people whose perceptions of people on the streets, you know, homeless people that have have drug addiction problems and alcoholism problems and maybe and mental health, which is the big thing for me as well, which is something I've learned a lot of in the last few years is is the correlation between mental health and addiction and how both of them are interconnected and how a lot of our treatment centres won't take people who have a dual diagnosis, a mental health issue with an addiction problem, which is absolutely ridiculous, um, if you ask me, because there's no one thing without the other. There's not a drug addiction problem on its own without a mental health issue and vice versa. You know, so I think it's very important that we start understanding how addiction works and where it stems from. And also looking into maybe the early intervention within in, in, in the lives of children, you know, start focusing a little bit more into what we can actually change within our schools and make schools a less stressful place for our kids particularly kids with uh, learning differences and different needs, different behavioural needs, etc. You know, I think it's very important that we change these things, you know, and um, by changing these things now in our schools and changing the, the way we've learned for the last, oh, God knows how long, like the education system in this country is, is, is just, it has never changed. It's still the same. It still looks at every child needing to learn the same stuff, you know, and it's time to change. It's time to change. It's time to look at the education system in this country and, and see what we can change with it and see how, how children can get the educations that they need because, like, teaching kids languages that they don't want to learn 
and teaching them mathematical questions and and other stuff that is causing anxiety and stress from it's wrong it's absolutely wrong you know there's better ways to teach kids you know i look at my child jay and I, when i was in school i loved the practical stuff i loved art i loved ma i loved um woodwork and metalwork and jay's the same Jay comes home, he said, Dad, I love, I love woodwork, I love metalwork, I love doing technical graphics, you know. And then when it comes to French or anything else, it's, it's, it's the same love isn't there, you know, it's not there. And, he, and, and I'm not a parent to put pressure on my children around education, you know, I, because of my own understanding of it. I don't want to put an education like it's important for them to have an education and to be able to read and write, but I don't want to be that parent who puts so much pressure on them that they get so stressed they can't actually retain information because they're on fire or flight. And we have to understand that as parents as well. And we just need to be educated around it, you know, educated around what's more important, our kids' well-being or their education. I know my kids' well-being is more important than their education, you know, and that's the truth. Because if their well-being is not well, God knows what's going to come from that. And remember what I said well ago, the correlation between mental health and addiction, you know, that might answer your question, you know. So, so let's let, let's focus a little bit more on kids' well-being and their mental health than pushing education down their throats. Yeah, I suppose we should thank some people and organisations. Um, I suppose Patreon, really. The people that donate to us once a month for the last three and a half years. There's about 200 of, of you there. Um, when we hadn't announced to our pants, you know, he helped us um, buy the equipment that's in the studio. He helped us pay the rent on the studio. He helped us pay producers. And uh, if we didn't have people on Patreon we wouldn't have continued, I'd say, after six months, to be honest. So I want to say from the bottom of my heart, thanks to everybody on Patreon. And if, you, if, if you're listening to this and you're not supporting, let's say you have a, there's a creator you like that you consume their content, whatever it is. If there's an opportunity if you had to, to support them on Patreon or another type of a platform for two or three euros, five or a month, do it. Because you might think it's only a couple of euros, what's the point? But if you get two or three hundred people to do it, it has a big impact on the person and their ability to do the work. So um, it was great to um, have so many people enjoy what we do so much that they felt compelled to give us two or three euros a month. Some gave us a five or some gave us 20. It was about 200 people there, so thank you to them. And the Irish Prison Service has helped us a lot over the last 12 months especially. Um, in the early days, Cork City Council gave us some grants. Social Entrepreneurs Ireland gave us a grant. Um, different philanthropists that don't want to be named, businessmen and entrepreneurs in Cork City donated to us anonymously. That helped um, pay for everything in the studio as well. And uh, it was brilliant, really, you know. Um, because of myself and Timmy's background, I don't think there was no, no sponsors really looking to come on board. And we were let down a few times, that, you know, when things looked promising. But for every disappointment we had, somebody came in with an opportunity. So thank you to all of them. And thanks to my wife, Julian, I suppose, as well, who we had on the podcast three times. 
And uh, she put up with a lot of shit for me over the last three and a half years. Even when I was at home, I wasn't present. And so thanks to Julian and looking forward now to maybe doing something with her down the line. You never know. Um, if she she comes out of her shell and gets a bit more confident, she might. But um, as I said, had run three times and uh, she, got, she got a great response. And it's great to see women on the podcast that have come from difficult backgrounds because uh, we've had a lot of men on the podcast with similar stories to me and Timmy, but it's hard enough to get women to, to talk. So it was great to have Gillian on. And um, yeah, thanks to everybody as well who liked and subscribed and commented and encouraged us. People that sent us emails and DMs and all those people. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and even in lockdown, thanks to Sharon for giving us her office below a little island. You know, Sharon. Uh, remember we got swabbed by Dr. Nick Flynn down there and everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember coming home from, from Little Island one night and being stopped in the checkpoint by the guards and the lads uh, like, were you off And I was <laughs> well outside my five kilometres now on this stage. And I just basically told him what I was doing and he says, no hassle. No, no hassle, Gwen, and um, la, uh, just tell, if you get stopped anymore, just tell the other girls what you're doing. And yeah. and he, he said, there'll be no issues from us, you know, and, and that was powerful as well, because the girls actually seen the importance of what we were actually trying to do at that time was when everybody was at home, you know, um, there was no AA meetings, there was no NA meetings. Common sense police and that was, wasn't yeah, it? it was, and it, it was, it, it was good to see that as well. You know, because it was good to see the humanistic side of guards where it's not all, it's, it's not all about um, authority, yeah. you know, and, and that was powerful as well. You know, and we've had a few guards on the podcast as well. And, uh, you know, they were good. They were a, a lot of, of guards listen and, yeah. and email us and, and send us DMs and stuff like that. You know? They use it for their own professional development. So they have, an, they have a better understanding as to the people that are actually interacting with on a daily basis. Yeah, and um, yeah, and just to go back to what James was saying about thanking family and stuff. I suppose I'll have to thank my wife as well, you know, for putting up with me. <laughs> you know, of just putting up with my shit, basically, and putting up with the the lack of time, you know, that I, she should have got from me where I was probably going to a prison or going up to Dublin doing a podcast or doing a talk. You know, I've just been down here doing two or three podcasts in one night. You know, just thanking her for for all the all the stuff that she she shouldn't have been doing, and I should have been doing all the collections and <laughs> from trainings and all these different things. You know, and the kids and the kids, my kids, just thanking them really for for understanding the stuff that we were doing here, the work that I was doing here, and understanding the importance of what I was doing. You know, and um, for all the questions that they've asked, <laughs> asked me about my life and me then trying to answer the questions in the best way I could so their little brains could understand what I was saying without really um, making it too difficult for them to understand, you know, particularly Jay, my, my, my young son, um, who really didn't understand too much about my background, you know, um, and just trying to explain it to him in the best way I possibly could and, and show him that that 
what I was in the past isn't something to be proud of, you know, but it's important as well to me where I did come from because it's after moulding the person that I am today. I often explain it to him in a, in a way that the reason is that I would tell him about my past is because I wanted to be honest and transparent with him and for him to understand what is out there, you know, and also understand everybody doesn't have it easy, you know. My upbringing was completely different to the upbringing that he was getting off me and his mother and um, just for him to be grateful you know, for what he does have in life. And, and, and he understood her as that. And, and my kids are well tuned in because of that reason. And they ask me questions and I always answer with the best possible honest answer that I can give them, you know, in a way that they'll understand. And just everybody that has worked with us, you know, our producers, Rowan, you know, Brian, O'Sullivan, you know, Sean, you know, Tony, who's with us there at the moment, who's fucking absolutely brilliant. And Katie and Sandra, you know. You know, all these people who are a massive, massive part in, 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 in the Two Norries podcast in the last few years. And they've been really, really helping myself and James. You know, I suppose if it wasn't for all those people, we would, we would have crumbled, I'd say, many, many moons ago. <laughs> You know, so we're very, very grateful for, to all them and I hope they understand it. You know, and, and, and all the people out there that probably didn't get a reply and an email or, or, or an Instagram or a social media message, just for you to understand that um, it was never about me and James not caring about people or not wanting to reply. It was just that we got into such a, a state where it was actually a difficult thing actually turn on the social media messages and look at them because we were absolutely burnt out. And we were inundated. Like, there could be 50, 100 messages a day between the emails and the Instagram. We even closed the, the, the DMs on Facebook because it was too, there was too much and it was just become unmanageable and we were working and families and, and stuff like that. So it was just become, we tried to prioritise and we tried to reply to everybody and if you didn't get a reply, it's nothing against you. Yeah. That's all. And it's very hard to give an answer to somebody who who has a family member that's destroyed from alcoholism or drugs or gambling. It's very hard, yeah. you know, because they, they'll ask how can they get them well or what do they need to do? How can they help them? And, and the honest answer to that is, is you really can't, can't do nothing. The only thing you can do is just be there for them when they actually do need help. Because it will never work if you're the one that's threatening them into treatment or threatening them into going to a counsellor or going to the doctor. They have to genuinely want it for themselves. And the only time that's going to happen is if they're in so much pain and they've felt so awful with an addiction and hopeless and and shameful and it's those emotions are the things that want them to, to stop you know and, and that's that's what a, a rock bottom comes from it comes from so much pain and some people can take so much shit and I often look back at my own life and I say like how didn't that that, that experience stop me or how didn't this or how 
why didn't this stop? Why didn't I stop drinking years ago because of that or this or that? Because I, because I needed more. <laughs> more stuff had to happen to me, you know, because that wasn't enough. Losing my wife and kids wasn't enough. Being nearly killed in car crashes and Aaron fights, you know, wasn't enough. You know, walking around the streets with nowhere to go wasn't enough. You know, but all these different things added up into one. And they all had a part to play in my rock bottom. It wasn't just one thing. It was all of those things together because all those emotions were packed into the last one. You know, knowing that nobody, nobody can put up with your shit anymore and that it's, it's the end of the road. And just, just knowing it internally that you cannot keep going the way you're going. That's where the rock bottom is. And that can only happen to the individual person who's suffering from the addiction. Uh, can it, it, There's no, no human power on the planet can change that until they actually internally feel it themselves and, and they know it's time to stop. And that's, and that's my kind of description of, of, of what it takes for somebody to stop on their tracks with an addiction. And sometimes, and sometimes that doesn't happen. And that's very hard thing to say to a parent or, or a brother or a sister or a husband or a wife is to tell them that, you know what, it, it, it might go the other way. And, and when I say the other way, a lot of people lose their lives to addiction, you know, and to mental health and suicide, you know, and and some, there's nothing really anybody can do about that, you know. And the people that are left behind then suffer in silence with guilt and shame and regret that they could have done more. But the reality of it is, if you've somebody that's struggling with an addiction now in your life, try to make it up whatever arguments you've had. And just be there from when they need it. And I don't mean financially. I mean, if they just give them the time of day, say hello and tell them you love them and look beyond the shit that they have done because it's the guilt of, of, of not talking or having somebody in your life and your, in your life, a family member or a friend and, and something happening to them and, and they're passing or something like that. That's that's a difficult thing to li- live with, and and um, I can relate to it through my own experiences. What do you think, James? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think with the body of work that we've done, um, there's a lot of information there for people affected by what you're talking about in terms of family members or even people that in a, that are in addiction at the moment and that are they feel that there's no hope. They'll hear somebody like myself, Timmy, or one of the guests we've had on. They can identify with them, relate with them, and then they can follow their pathway through recovery. And if that don't work. They can follow the next pathway to recovery or the next one because there's loads of ways to better in your life. There's no one set way and we try to highlight all the ways. I suppose the last the last thing I suppose we wanted to thank really are is the guests because without the guests it would have been, you know, the guests were vital like and it's not easy like Timmy knows and I knows, I know. Coming on, uh, like we've been on the telly and we've been on different podcasts and radio stations and all that. And it's not easy being interviewed, especially if it's your first time or you're new to it. And uh, it takes a lot of courage to talk about your personal life, um, especially when it might be checkered. 
Um, and I want to thank the people that were brave enough to sit at the table with us and to share their experiences in the hope to help and inspire others. And that's what it was always all about. And that's what we'll hold on to when we finish up. So, Shane, I'd say thank everybody yeah. for their time and for supporting us. And we'll see everybody in the future. Thank you. Schlange. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.